We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Good evening. And also uh, with us today, uh, we've got him... Two weeks in a row. We don't do that too often, but we are happy to have him back. Uh, Brian Hugh, who once again is the founding editor of New Bloom Magazine. Welcome, Brian. Good evening. And for the first time to the show, uh, we are happy to welcome Tom Shia. He is the executive editor of the China Post. Yes, that China Post. Uh, Tom, welcome. Good evening, everybody. On the show today, uh, this is going to be another long one. whole lot of topics to get to. Of course, the largest protest of the Thai administration tenure to date descended upon Taipei last weekend with more than 100,000, according to most reports, people demonstrating against proposals for pension reform. Uh, Basically, get your hands off my money was the uh, clear message they were sending there. Then we've got another round of protests that is picking up steam. This time it's the tourism industry. Uh, That is ticked off over the declining number of tour groups from China. We'll discuss the controversy and the protest organizers are planning for next week. And then in the second half, more details out this week on the administration's southbound policy. Basically, how President Tsai is hoping to make trading partners that aren't China. Uh, Freddie Lim got a chance to talk to the Dalai Lama for a bit. We'll touch on that real quick. Uh, But we will be closing out the broadcast with a conversation with Ralph Jennings, who is a contract reporter covering Taiwan, uh, whose recent article in Forbes titled Three Advantages China Has Over Taiwan stirred up quite a bit of controversy in the blogosphere. Uh, we'll, We'll get his reaction to that reaction. Uh, so a whole bunch to get through, but first uh, we actually uh, kind of have to get to a piece of late breaking news that came out yesterday, uh, similar to the pension reform issue that uh, in that this one also touches on labor and wage issues. Uh, we're talking about here the minimum wage, which uh, just got a boost, Gavin. Yeah, the Ministry of Labor on Thursday moved to increase the minimum wage by around 5%. That means that basically starting from January 1st of next year, the minimum monthly wage will stand at 21,009 NT. That's up from 20,008 NT currently, while the hourly minimum wage will be increased from the current 120 NT to 126 NT starting in October of this year, but it will see an additional increase in January of next year to stand at 100 133 NT, mm. which is about around 5%, like I said. The government before them, this was arranged at the meeting on Thursday of the Ministry of Labour's Minimum Wage Review Committee, right. which basically brought together representatives from labour unions and business groups, although there it was more... Tried to bring... They tried to bring the business groups in, but unfortunately only two representatives from two business groups actually turned out. The dispute centred on the fact that the business groups, they're obviously the business owners, were concerned that labour groups would push for higher raises to the minimum wages, which Labour groups were, because Labour groups actually wanted the minimum monthly wage to increase to around 26,000 NT, and I believe they were looking at the minimum hourly wage to be increased to 163 NT. Mm. Labour business owners rather didn't like this because they thought that was too much of an increase. Mm-hmm. All right. So nobody got 100% of what they wanted there. Uh, Brian, I mean, this this seems like a fairly incremental increase. Obviously, as Gavin said right there, not going quite as far as the labor groups uh, wanted to see. Uh, do you see the minimum wage issue, which we haven't been hearing too much uh, about recently? We heard a, a fair amount more about it last year, I think. Uh, you, 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 you know, you're, you're the kind of guy that mm. covers these lefty sort of issues. Uh, do you see this as being uh, an animating issue for uh, the left in Taiwan? Um, it is something that's pissed for by some organizers, like, you know, labor organizers. But it's not a huge issue, and especially with the past few, like, that's to say, in the past few strikes that we've seen, this hasn't been raised as, like, an, a demand, you know, mm-hmm. raising the minimum wage. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it is a concession by the Thai administration, and, you know, now business kind of wants to draw the line with this recent wave of labor activity. Mm. So now it's, you know, kind of a struggle back and forth. I mean, business groups, sorry, put in there, business groups, with the go- like I said, the government is going to wait, raise the minimum wage by 5%. Business groups had said prior to this meeting on Thursday that they thought around 3% increase across the board was reasonable. 
Mm. So the government have gone a bit slightly higher than business groups wanted. Just a touch. But slightly less than Labour groups wanted. So right. I guess they're sitting in the middle somewhere there, basically. Mm. Business groups were previously threatening to, you know, suspend negotiations um, if, mm-hmm. you know, the Thai administration went ahead with cutting or, or going back on cutting public holidays. Right. Uh, so perhaps, you know, kind of uh, flagging relations between both of those groups and the Thai administration. So uh, maybe we can add this to the long list of issues that uh, the Thai administration needs to fret about. Uh, but we've got an even bigger issue for her to fret about. Now onto the main event uh, in terms of labor politics over the last week. Uh, well, we've been seeing plenty of demonstrations since Tsai took office. Uh, you know, of course, as we discussed right there, labor disputes. Uh, also, a nuclear issue has sparked a couple of protests. Uh, rights for indigenous people sparked quite a few protests a number of months ago. Uh, but Saturday's protest was the biggest yet. A uh, little disagreement over exactly what the numbers were, but police, uh, who, I, I mean, they're the authorities, so I guess we're just going to go uh, with their numbers. They put the number at 117 thousand who took to the streets of Taipei, blocking up Ketagalan Boulevard and other major thoroughfares in front of the presidential office. Uh, and the folks there, well, they were all civil servants, uh, public school teachers and military personnel uh, who were angered and united by their anger, uh, by the push from President Tsai to take on the ever-expanding pension costs. Uh, but the Tsai administration says, you know, despite this giant protest, they are going to move forward uh, with reform. Uh, so, Gavin, uh, just tell us a little bit about what's been going on in the last week. I mean, there was even some news about this just yesterday. Yeah, well, obviously the rally. Obviously, as you said, 117,000. The police said the numbers did range from 150,000, I believe I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, of course, that's open for dispute. Well, these people, basically, the Tsai administration is moving to basically... The, the, this is the National Retirement Pension System for Civil Servants and basically mm-hmm. state people, people who work for the state. This is not the private sector complaining about, basically, everybody's pensions. This is the private, the public sector complaining about their pensions being cut. Well, there's been talk about this for a long time. Even before Tsai became president, she was talking about, and other people were talking about, both the DPP and the K- even the KMT, actually realised that the state pension system was suffering a major lack of funding. And something had to be done, basically. And, mm. you know, if you want to cut pensions... There's going to be people that don't mind, and there's always going to be people that suffer over it. Right. And, of course, these are all state employees. And the iron rice bowl, of course. Right. Which, of course, might be coming into an end. Mm-hmm. That's what they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. But the government has basically said, you know, we're looking for a sustainable pension system. We understand that, you know, cutting people's pensions is not the way, but we're not going to jump in there. Because, obviously, the governments have so far not set out any basic concrete moves to do this, how they're going to change it. They've basically waffled on. They come out with statements like the government is seeking to protect the rights of citizens to retirement pensions and make retirees less reliant on their children for care. They are pro-good things happening. And the government will continue with the pension reforms process while at the same time pressing for coordinated efforts among government agencies and the private sector to push forward with such policies. And also comments like well, we want a sustainable pension Mm. system and sustainable what, is good. I like sustainable. And we want to ensure that retirees can be financially comfortable and have a Ooh, good standard of living. That all sounds good to me. That's I don't see any problem there. all they've said, which mm-hmm. basically no numbers have come out. They did come no, out with a little something yesterday, just a little tweak. Yeah, basically the government yesterday came out. This is this is a very minor, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely Most not going to. in this room will agree this is a very minor move to Not going to fix reform. it. No. The government basically moved to axe holiday bonuses that were handed out to retired government and public school employees who receive more than 25,000 NT in monthly pension payments. Mm. Now, those bonuses will be cut from next year. And this doesn't affect all retired government and public school employees. It only affects those, like I said, that earn in pension payments more than 25,000 NT a month. Mm. Now, from next year, retirees who receive less than 25,000 NT will still receive these pension payments. The pension payments that I'm referring to are the 2,000 NT dollars given to these public sector workers on the Lunar New Year holiday, the Dragon Boat Festival holiday, and the Mid-Autumn Festival holiday. Mm. 
And while it might not seem a lot, the government have said this could save them and taxpayers some 870 million NT a year. Mm. All right. So that is all just to set the stage for kind of what has been going on over the last week in this issue. Uh, I want to bring Tom into the conversation uh, and because you actually wrote an editorial about this a number of days ago, kind of laying out Mm -hmm. uh, the background for the issue and uh, why it's something that needs to be dealt with right now. So maybe you can fill our listeners in on that. Why is this something that is so pressing and needs to be taken on right now? What, what, what's sort of the uh, background for how we got into this hole that we're in? Because we are running out of money. There is no money. <laughs> Simple for enough. The fund. Too many people are, are receiving their pension fund and to so few people to contribute to the fund. So There's a number of retired employees that are even getting 100% of uh, the pay that they were getting when they were employed. Yes, uh, we have the highest uh, income rep- replacement ratio in the world. Mm. So it's quite odd. Uh, in normal countries uh, like the U.S. or Western countries, they usually get 50 to 70% of the mm-hmm. income replacement ratio. But in Taiwan, it's over 100%. Mm. And Taiwan is not particularly rich. So why, right. why should we have such a high income replacement ratio? Well, I, I think on Saturday we saw part of that reason is mm-hmm. because this really does, uh, it's a sensitive issue. You're messing mm-hmm. with money that people thought they were going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of anger right there. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about why uh, this particular move that the Tsai administration stoked as much anger as it did. I mean, some people were saying that they felt disrespected or that mm-hmm. they felt like they were being demonized by the mm-hmm. Tsai administration. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where are those feelings coming from? At uh, first, you, you receive a notice that your money is going to be cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that's part of the anger and most mm-hmm. of the anger. And the other thing is uh, they, they receive a lot of criticism uh, mm-hmm. from government or or DPP, from mm-hmm. the DPP, and and they are not happy with it. They say, uh, some of them say, uh, we are in favor of the pension reform, but mm-hmm. you cannot insult us. What would be some of the examples of the insults? I mean, I haven't seen anything that seemed too... Uh, insulting to me. What, any, anything stick out to you? I think it's mainly the atmosphere that the government has created. Mm-hmm. So, so they feel the hostility in it. Mm-hmm. And also, when they, when they say they would take it to the street, uh, one DPP member said that uh, it is a, an act of rebellion. Mm. And they don't understand. We, we are just performing our legal rights to mm-hmm. protest. Why you say it's rebellion? And furthermore, there's no any other politicians say, hey, you should not say it's rebellion. Nobody mm. to stop him and mm-hmm. nobody to correct this. So it's a hint that the Thai administration is not happy with the civil servants. Mm. They also took flat because of entitlement. Many people said, oh, they're civil servants, therefore they, they have entitlement. Right. They're mm-hmm. better than everybody else because they have entitlement. <laughs> they're part of the, the, the basically the big rice bowl, the big right. money thing. There's right. been like a lot of criticism against you know social groups like these for you know public sector workers for years because you know the view of them as parasitic or you know draining the entire nation because you know they have a cushy job and when they're retired they can just kind of continue to take money or suck away money. Mm. So uh, probably some of their negative response is you know they've kind of picked up on some of those mm. negative views and that's part of where uh, the uh, real emotion and fervor is coming from. Mm. And I think they view the Thai administration as stoking this against them in order to get pension reform done. So you think that that's a fair criticism? Um, I don't really think so, but there's no good answer here. I mean, you know, people are angry. This is a labor issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that is an issue, yeah. I mean, the country will run out of money. But, you know, what is to be done about these people that are angry because, you know, this threatens their future? Yeah. It's, you know, it's not in all cases that they're privileged and, you know, well-off and just draining money either. Mm. Of course, they were only doing their jobs. Of course. I mean, that's all they were doing. They got right. a job as a civil yeah. servant. They signed it, the bit of paper. The government signed the bit of paper, and they said, "You're entitled to X amount of money when you right. retire after X amount of years." Exactly. It's not their fault, basically. This is money. Yeah, not yeah. their fault. No. Paper's fault. You're not going to turn somebody down for giving you a high pension. Of course not. <laughs> uh, now there were also some allegations that uh, this rally was supported, aided, abetted, uh, stoked by political forces, uh, namely the KMT. Hong Shouju did not make any speech there, but she was present. Uh, Brian, do you see anything to that assertion? 
Um, I mean, the KMT wants to play up to, you know, like a traditional supporter demographic, which is, you know, such as like servants, of like, you know, military, members mm-hmm. of the military and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of kind of like, you know, that took place on Armed Forces Day. So, you know, there's a lot of playing up to that, mm-hmm. um, that kind of, you know, Chinese nationalism on the part of the KMT. The, there are accusations from the DPP camp that, you know, this was like stoked by the, the Pan Blue camp. Um, in some way, that's kind of represents disbelief that, you know, there's been such a large protest against it when protests in recent years has been mostly, you know, against the KMT. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that interesting because, you know, it's almost like the flip side of the KMT's accusations continually. The DPP mm-hmm. is behind, you know, all these protests and manipulating things behind the scenes. But, I mean, just based on what you guys have been saying so far, I mean, it does seem like most of, uh, an awful lot of this is is, is genuine and wouldn't necessarily take uh, exactly. a political yeah. party to organize. Um, so, I mean, that there is genuine kind of dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, part of the interesting thing for me, though, is that, you know, in terms of pension reform, like the solutions proposed have all just been, you know, cutting pensions. Like, mm-hmm. there's not talk of other solutions such as, you know, raising taxes for the wealthy or so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you wouldn't like to see them when they're angry. <laughs> yeah, they'd run over you with their things. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Tom, what do you see here? What, what is the path forward for the Tsai administration? What, what is the next move that they could make to actually make some headway on this issue? Oh, they are going to persist their goal. So they will definitely cut the pension mm-hmm. for civil servants. Oh, so yeah. you, you think that they're going to move forward with that? Yeah, because they, they, they will get support from the labor group. Mm-hmm. Because uh, uh, the pension for a retired civil servant is three to four times higher than that of a labor Mm-hmm. So the labor group is definitely not happy with this. Well, but then even within the civil servants, there's some that are getting, you know, uh, 60,000 a month pensions, 50,000 a month mm-hmm. pensions, and there's others that are getting 5,000 a month. So even within the civil servants, there's a fair amount of inequality. So it comes with the ratio. If you get higher income, you get bigger cut. Mm-hmm. And if your income is not that big, so you get smaller cut. Right, but still, we need to cut their pension. I'm in favor of the pension reform, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I I do not agree with the attitudes that mm-hmm. the Thai government handle this matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, it goes down to the problem of when do they begin this? Right. Who is the person, the poor civil servant, <laughs> who's going to be the person that has to say it cuts off at you? Right. You're not getting a big pension. Well, he did. He got he got the job the day before me. Yeah. Ah, well, there's the day. There's the cutoff point. Right. <laughs> right. Somebody's going to have to be the face of this thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they should give it to uh, uh, somebody who's planning to leave Taiwan soon. Anyway, that oh, would... they draw, draw lots. Draw lots. There you go. <laughs> it's Russian roulette right bingo. there. Like a big bingo. <laughs> All right. So uh, yet another. Another headache for the Thai administration that uh, we're probably going to have to discuss again and again on this show. Uh, just add it to the list. Add it to the ever-increasing list. Uh, although, if you if you read the work of uh, Nathan Bado, uh, which I encourage our listeners to do over at Frozen Garlic, uh, things are not necessarily as bad for the Thai administration as we have been making them out to be. Uh, you can weigh his opinion about, against uh, some of what you've been hearing today. Uh, but we're going to have to move on from that story uh, to another protest, or sort of a pre-protest. That would be Wednesday's brouhaha over tourism, Gavin. Yes, this is when it hit the fan on Wednesday. This was more of a, this wasn't so much a protest as it was a press conference. This was, yeah, I was going to say, I wonder what you're talking about, because it's actually next Monday, of course. Mm-hmm. A protest on a Monday. Who picks a protest on a Monday? <laughs> well, if you want to know who's picking a protest on a Monday here in Taiwan, it's the tourism industry. Mm. And apparently representatives from tourism operators, tourist bus companies, souvenir shops, and even hoteliers say they're going to hit the streets of Taipei on Monday. Of a three-day week, too. It has a lot going against it. Hey, they get a two-day week, didn't didn't they? I guess Think so. Think about oh, it. There the you go. tourism industry is smart. Yep, and they reckon that tour industry representatives say that some 10,000 people, and they're saying these 10,000 people will come from 11 tourism-related trade associations. Like I said, they'll be taken to the streets of Taipei on Monday, and they'll be calling on the government for a better business environment. Mm. And, of course, they're calling for a better business environment because there has been reports that the number of Chinese tourists has dropped, sort of... I don't know whether you call it markedly or you call it significantly or you call it a little bit. I think that (laughs) depends on your political bent, how you would put that. But Mm -hmm. they have definitely dropped. Right. Most especially the the, the The thing that they're pointing to, the the group group tours. tours, Because, of course, the travel agents, obviously, 
they do tours in this group. It's not individual people coming here because obviously if you're an individual travelling to Taiwan, you don't ring up a travel agent and go, where can I go at a weekend? Right. Can you take me to this? You'll just go there. So this is group tours from China. Now, there has been allegations that, well, there's been a comment because some tourism operators have blamed the decline in Chinese tourists on the government and especially its handling of cross-strait ties. And here we go back to the 1992 consensus and the Thai administration's reluctance, not wanting, basically, refusal to accept it. Now, an interesting point was some tourism operators have blamed the decline on Chinese tourists for the 1992 consensus not being accepted by the government. Mm-hmm. But one chap called Ringo Lee, I wonder if he's a Beatles fan, he worked for the Travel Agent Association of the Republic of China, and he basically said, well, the industry is not insisting the government acknowledge the 1992 consensus, but simply wants the government of the Tsai Ing-wen to offer basically market incentives, like financial support for tourism-related businesses that are basically losing money. Mm, I really hope they keep Ringo Lee as their spokesperson. That's... Yep. Now, the government has actually did reply to that, saying, well, we, we do have plans. You know, we're going to obviously, obviously offer financial packages to travel agencies who are experiencing difficulties. We'll assist travel agencies to get funding through loans. So travel agencies suffering will be able to take out basically loans with a very low payback rate. And they'll obviously help travel agents merger. This is another thing the government said. There you go. Seven mm. things they came out with. There was a few of them. Alrighty. So, uh, this is an issue that we've uh, talked about a number of times on the show before. Uh, now it really does seem like it's picking up some steam in uh, the political sphere. Tom, I mean, do you, do you see this as being a political issue that is uh, really going to affect national politics? I see a lot of people pointing to this as a major failing of the Thai administration. Uh, and, and, and so, is this something that's you know, going to pick up some steam? Well, I think, first of all, it's a, a 200 billion NT business, you know. So uh, every year, Taiwan gets almost 200 billion NT from many tourists. And if if we get, give all this business, and a lot of people will be out of work. So so it's quite, quite a serious thing. Right. Uh, so, so do you think that this issue is going to be picked up? Of course, of course. Uh, especially the political motive behind it, because the Thai won't recognize 1992 consensus. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, China is stopping its tourist group from coming to Taiwan. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, Brian, what do you see here? I mean, of course, the other way to frame uh, this issue is uh, to blame uh, China for setting a goalpost uh, that the Thai administration, you know, it was pretty clearly not going to meet. Uh, and that was pretty clear even before she took office. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, for example, you know, an incident such as the bus disaster with, you know, the Chinese tourists dying, that was really amplified within China, within Chinese media, mm-hmm. as, you know, Taiwan's become this unsafe place. Right. And also, you know, there's all this talk of, you know, in, in China of, you know, rising anti-Chinese sentiment within Taiwan. Um, that was another news story that uh, we haven't quite gotten to yet, Gavin. No, we'll just nip there quickly, Brian, shall we? This was a comment by Minister Without Portfolio, Zhang Jing Sun. When he came out last week, beginning of, beginning of this week, rather, and he basically said, people in Taiwan should cease going on the internet and slagging off people from China. Because, of course... There's been jokes. Basically, this is centers on jokes when people here in Taiwan going, well, hey, there's no Chinese tourists this week. Look how clean the air is. We can see the vista because there's no Chinese tourists. Hmm. Funny, funny, joke, joke. There we go. But apparently, <laughs> Jung Jingson said this is not funny. And if you continue to be demeaning towards Chinese tourists, it could cause some problems because mm. obviously detrimental postings about people from China do get picked up in China. And of course, not just picked up in China, they get played on in China. Mm. They get made big things out of when it's not really right. a big thing. And he said that these are the most important friends for Taiwan. He did say that. He said basically Chinese tourists are Taiwan's most needed friends. Mm-hmm. He also said that such comments only provoke Chinese people's antipathy towards Taiwan and it should be ceased. Right. And uh, make of that comment what you will. Maybe a good point, maybe a bad point. But the Thai administration has distanced themselves from it. The, Thai, the government said basically, hang on a minute, this is bloke, some bloke. He, he made this comment on his Facebook page. That's mm-hmm. Just put that out there. He didn't right. stand on the street with a microphone. Right. He didn't stand in the cabinet building. He basically typed it in a computer, maybe in his tighty whities on a Sunday evening. Who I knows? Don't know what he was Pure doing. speculation. He did it on his Facebook right. page. And basically, cabinet spokesman Tong Zhen Yuan came out a couple of days later and said, look, a Facebook post comment by the minister 
describing how people in Taiwan should treat Chinese visitors is nothing to do with government opinion. Mm. He also came out and basically said government opinion is not propagated or announced on Facebook. That's a good point. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a, fair that's a question. <laughs> I, I wish that that were true. I do wish that that were true. Uh, Brian, so sorry, we cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, well, Zhang Jingxian is not the most internet-savvy person, so he has a history of these kind of statements. Um, but apart from that, I mean, this protest by tour groups, it might be large, but it also might provoke severe backlash against tour groups from you know the rest of society, mm. which doesn't perceive itself as being affected by this, or mm. does actually see that a decline in tourists is a good thing. That's interesting, actually, because of course there could be because of course the government last two weeks ago moved to change the Tourism Act, of course, because of course local tour companies that take Taiwan ROC nationals abroad come under heat all the time for ripping them off, overcharging them, cancelling the tours at the last minute. Mm. So they're under fire domestically, these tour groups, already. And a lot of them have very strong connections to Hong Kong. And, That's uh, another issue yeah. entirely, of course. Right. Yeah. And, and, and those that argue that it's not an important uh, industry for Taiwan, uh, basically their argument is that a lot of that money that we're talking about there gets sort of funneled into Hong Kong companies and doesn't actually make it into the Taiwan economy. Which goes back to the other argument, that when they bring the Chinese group tours here, they go to select shops, of mm-hmm. course, and right. select mm-hmm. places, yes. and the money that's being spent I have a tour group from China of 30 people, I take them to Bob Wong's shop. Mm-hmm. Now, Bob Wong's my mate, who's, being, who's getting money from a travel agent in Hong Kong, possibly, or a travel agent here, to go to his shop. He's paying for these tourists to go right. to his shop, so it's... You, know, you sound like you've done this racket before, Gavin. <laughs> no, 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 I don't know Bob Wong. It's not me. I don't know who oh, Okay, different Bob Wong than I'm thinking of. All right. <laughs> Uh, that is it for the first half of the show. When we return, oh my gosh, we're just talking about the Tide administration today. The Tide administration heads south. Then we're talking about new power party legislator Freddie Lim. Uh, he, ha- he had a little bit of a get-together with the Dalai Lama. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then we'll talk about one Taiwan-based reporter uh, who got himself in a bit of a controversy online. He'll actually uh, come on the show and respond to that controversy. So something to look forward to right there. All that and more when we return to Taiwan This Week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Brian Hugh, and Tom Xie. Uh, Well, we've been hearing for months now that the Tsai administration wants to head south to find new trade partners. Uh, south, I mean, it's kind of a relative term. It's not exactly south. I think the main idea is away from China, uh, if I can put it that way. Well, this week we got some specifics of uh, how it intends to do just that. Gavin, what were those specifics? Yeah, this was, of course, the new southbound policy, which is not to be confused with the old southbound policy, which was much the same as the new southbound policy. (laughs) But I'm playing with words there. Anyway, the Tsai administration's policy is aimed at enhancing trade and economic ties with countries in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and the South Pacific. Mm. Not necessarily all south, if you see what I mean. It's called the southbound policy. The South Pacific is obviously south, but one could argue that South Asia and Southeast Asia a bit more west than south. Relative to what? Relative to... Relative to things, anyway. Anyway, the government basically came out this week and said it's basically set its targets to earmark trade and investment operations in 10 Asian member states, Mm. six nations in the South Asia area, and Australia and New Zealand. Mm. Now, according to John Dung, who's basically been tasked with heading this operation, the government is going to seek to integrate the resources and strengths of Taiwan's public and private sectors Sectors, as it looks to establish a new mutually beneficial model of cooperation Ooh. with the countries it is targeting. Now he cited that the, is officialese at its best. It is, and now he cited the goals of that mutually beneficial model of cooperation as being through economic and trade partnerships, resource sharing, and regional connections. Now they did float a number of how much money this is going to cost them, but unfortunately, I've forgotten what that is. Okay, but it was in the billions. It was several billion. Yeah, many this billion. Is basically, the government's going to spend several billion dollars to hopefully enhance trade with these basically countries that I mentioned before. So when we're talking about concrete proposals, the the, the main things are uh, visa waivers, language, kind of trying to use the native language skills of some of the immigrants in Taiwan. Because of course Taiwan has lots of immigrants from basically Asian member states, Southeast Asia. They're going to obviously go to their strengths 
And of course, the other thing was, of course, the visa waivers. They're obviously this is a, this is again this is not this is goes back to tourism, in fact, because they're mm-hmm. actually giving visa waivers to Southeast Asian nation passport holders to hopefully come to Taiwan for tourism. But they're also hoping that this will enhance business as well because it will make it easier for business people right. to go from Vietnam to Taiwan or Taiwan to Vietnam or wherever in Southeast Asia and the region, India, mm. Pakistan like I said, South Asia, and, of course, Australia and New Zealand. Now, mm. the Australia and New Zealand thing is actually, I find, more interesting because, of course, Taiwan signed a free trade agreement with New Zealand some years ago. It was one that of was the a first, big deal. It was a big mm-hmm. deal because, it was, of course, it was a first, one of the first single-country entities right. that Taiwan had signed a free trade agreement with. Mm-hmm. And also, Taiwan has been seeking for a long time to sign an agreement with Australia. Right. I think they also said that they were going to make it easier for... Uh, folks that have these language skills that we're talking about, Vietnamese, uh, uh, Indonesian, etc., to become tour guides. So that was... Again, uh, that goes back to tourism. Yeah, right. It all seems like fairly small stuff, to be honest. But uh, let's get the take from our commentators that uh, perhaps have some different ideas about this, uh, and we'll uh, we'll throw it to Brian. Uh, I mean, just, uh, yeah, what do you you see in all this? Any any proposals to be excited about? Um, It's hard to say, because, you know, just it goes back to the challenge of the Thai administration when it talks so much about diversifying trade, but a lot of times, again, the language skills for these things are really lacking in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. That's part of the reason why the first kind of, you know, southbound policy under Li Donghui wasn't very successful. For mm-hmm. example, with the tour groups, like one possibility is to diversify away from China towards Southeast Asian countries. But you know, people are finding that they're the ministry, the, the government officials are finding that the tour guides that know these languages are not enough. You know, obviously Chinese or Mandarin is shared as a language with China, not mm-hmm. only in tourism, but that applies to other industries. So doing business with Southeast Asian countries has that you know that already that you already you know you need to know the language. It's a tough nut to crack. It is, and you know so. How the Thai administration resolves that is a question. Mm. I think the Thai administration is also trying to level on a lot of the new immigrants in in Taiwan. You know, Taiwan is a diversifying society or a pluralistic society. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, there's a tendency of new immigrants, a growing tendency, for them to start businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but can it really leverage on this? That, that's a really good question. Um, mm. For example, a lot of the foreign policy missteps of the Thai administration has been kind of failing to build ties with you know, Southeast Asian countries. For example, fighting with the Philippines over, you know, Southeast China, South China Sea's islands, mm-hmm. or, you know, the Vietnam kind of, uh, the fish death incident, which was caused by a Taiwanese company, you know, polluting and, you know, leading to millions of fish deaths and, you know, mass protests in Vietnam. Mm. Um, and the Thai administration has been kind of silent on that. Mm. Uh, Tom, what do you see here? Is this, uh, is this the uh, path forward towards further trade? Uh, yeah, I think there will be an increase in mm-hmm. business in that area, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a difficult task for the Thai government since Taiwan has has little diplomatic uh, relationship with these countries. Mm. So that that's what you see as really the area that the Thai administration needs to focus on to make this successful? Uh, I think it's hard to be successful because... Uh, First, um, let, let, let's take Vietnam, for example. Uh, the pollution done by the Formosa Group in, in Vietnam, and the chairman of the Formosa Group mm-hmm. went to Vietnam and to deal with this matter, mm-hmm. and, but he was detained there. Mm. And he actually paid uh, $500 million US dollars right. to get out of the country. And what, what can the Thai government do? Um, I'm not actually sure about that because there's disputing, you know, claims about that. I mean, the Vietnamese government seemed to be backing up to actually defend Formosa before that happened, before these like mass protests, which are enormous and you know, like the one of the largest movements, you know, Vietnam has seen in like forever. Mm-hmm. But you know, like that that was you know not seen as enough. Uh, also, the Vietnamese government really was just they they want to defend that investment. That's a multi-billion-dollar investment. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was mm-hmm. a DPP. But yeah, no, what no. I mean <laughs> is that Taiwanese business. Taiwanese businessmen can get little help from the government mm. when they have difficulties in local areas. Right, yeah, we, we, obviously yeah. there's no embassies there. Right. So if you're a Taiwan businessman and you end up in trouble, you've got no one there to actually represent you or bail you out. Yeah, yeah. And of course, another issue, of course, this comes into like with China. Obviously, Taiwan needs to sign agreements with these countries like Malaysia, mm-hmm. Thailand, mm-hmm. Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. Let and if China it. doesn't want and that to happen... If China doesn't want it to happen, China's got a lot more clout in that right. area mm-hmm. than Taiwan has. So China could say, no, you, if you sign... If, Kuala Lumpur wants to sign an agreement with Taipei, China could turn around to Kuala Lumpur and simply say, if you sign that agreement with Taipei, this money we give you for all these projects, we're cutting it off. Right. 
So yeah, very uh, certainly a, a, a very steep hill to climb. So I mean, would you say uh, if if you were running the country, would would you say that this is something that just should be given up on, or do do, do you see any prospects for success here? Well, I think we should we should keep keep going, mm-hmm. but we should take it more seriously. What, uh, what would it mean to take it more seriously? The head of the Southbound Policy Office uh, is a part-timer. It's mm. interesting because uh, James Huang is going to be the uh, going to be Taiwan's envoy to to Singapore, mm. and the government say uh, he can he can have the he can have both jobs at the same time. Mm. How can it be? Mm. Uh, it, it it is such a serious uh, policy, mm-hmm. and the most important policy. Is done by a part-timer, so so right. I think it's really weird. Mm. All right. Uh, so certainly a topic that we talked about before. We will talk about it again, but we have to move on to a story that involves Freddie Lim, who paid a visit to the Dalai Lama uh, earlier this week. Fun little trip, uh, but he did more than just visit the Dalai Lama while he was there. He also uh, invited His Holiness to pay a visit to the legislative yuan. Uh, now, perhaps in past administrations, that uh, wouldn't have gone over too well. But uh, this time around, it was actually uh, received somewhat okay. Legislative Speaker Su Jiatran Gavin uh, seemed to be at least somewhat open to the idea. Yes, Legislative Speaker Su Jiatran said he has no problem with the Dalai Lama addressing lawmakers in the legislative building, and he would welcome anyone who fights for democracy and freedom. This, of course, came after New Power Party lawmaker and headbanger Freddie Lim said that he bumped into the Dalai Lama while he was visiting Dharamasala in India earlier mm. this week. And he said, well, I've met the Dalai Lama and I invited him to Taiwan. And he said, apparently, this is according to the quotes which have been reported, he would be glad to visit Taiwan again, so said the Dalai Lama to Freddie Lim. What's well, a nice spot, of course. Of course, the cabinet, the government, and anybody that really has any clout and matters hasn't commented on the invitation. Mm. But if anybody wants to know, the Dalai Lama last visited Taiwan in 2009. And then has, his visa has since been uh, rejected a number of times, uh, uh, reportedly. Well, well, apparently, 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 apparently. What's interesting about this story is, of course, Freddie Lim, the new power party, Freddie Lim's known for his basically human rights work. Mm-hmm. He was voted in at the last election, of course. He beat a KMT stalwart, Lin Yufeng, mm-hmm. in the district of Taipei. I'm just wondering whether Freddie Lim's constituents and the people that voted for him um, now he's in Dharamasala in India inviting the Dalai Lama to Taiwan and actually helping them out where they live. That's my question on that. Well, this legislative yuan is on recess currently. I guess so. I still, it would be, <laughs> if I lived in that area and my house was falling down, I'd want him to do something about it rather than being in India. He has a mural of the Dalai Lama in his office, Freddie Lim. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, Brian, you actually wrote about this issue earlier this week in New Bloom, which that folks can find online. Uh, and uh, you, 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 you made a number of points. Uh, first of all, this kind of opens a can of worms for the Thai administration. They're gonna, if, if this issue moves forward, they're gonna have to make a stand on: Are they for the Dalai Lama coming? Or are they against it? Uh, so that could put them in a tricky position. Uh, and also, it's kind of revealing how those that are kind of on the pan green side view, uh, you know, Tibetan freedom issues. Uh, it's also another kind of interesting, just ideological. Uh, stance that uh, many in the pan-green camp have to sort of sort out for themselves. So uh, talk about what you see here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, um, they're basically under the past presidential administration, the Dalai Lama has visited once, you know, for example, in 1997 under the Donghui, in 2001 under... uh, Chen Shui-bian. Yeah, and (laughs) in 2009 under Ma Ying-jiu. And so it'd be a little strange if Tsai doesn't allow him to visit. But, you know, that also, does Tsai really want to rock the boat that much with China right now. Obviously, it would be viewed very dimly by uh, the uh, Chinese government. At the same time, though, there's these kind of soft culture initiatives propping up to kind of play up Taiwan as a democracy. For example, sending a delegation to Mongolia from the uh, Taiwan Foundation for Democracy. Um, Yeah, I mean, with Freddie Lim, who, you know, has kind of held back on his pro-Taiwan independence stance as a way to kind of get elected, um, the support for the Dalai Lama comes with support for Taiwanese independence. Mm. So... That's that's kind of where his concern, and that's where his long-standing interest in the Dalai Lama comes from. Um, it is interesting because you know, like, there's all this talk from more pro-independence people about trying to get rid of the ROC framework and the ROC government exile. But the Tibetan government exile is, you know, it's a government exile. It's been there for 60 years, so it's a question: Can it really represent contemporary Tibet 
just mm-hmm. as you know, the ROC is a government exile from China for the past 70 years right. on paper. Right. And uh, well, Tibet would be a region, if we're really uh, looking at the ROC framework and the ROC mm-hmm. constitution, Tibet is a region that's claimed uh, under that constitution. That's right. So, you know, there is a Mongolian, Tibetan and Mongolian Affairs uh, Commission. Didn't they get rid of that? I thought they were going to get rid of that. They've been talking about it, but it, <laughs> right. it's become a kind of an issue. It's actually headed by its highest cousin, uh, Ling Meizhu. Um, which is, you know... The commission that covers Mongolia and Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's led to accusation of nepotism in the past. Uh, they her came the flag in the Andamar. They hadn't done anything. That was the allegation. What have they done? Uh, there's talk of folding that into, like, another department, <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to say. That's be- another issue that Tsai doesn't really rock, want to rock the boat on. Uh, so this uh, kind of brings up uh, a, another thorny issue. I mean, uh, for if 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 you are somebody that you know supports Tibetan independence, that's pretty clearly uh, against some of the claims that the ROC makes. Exactly. So I mean, that's that's another issue. I think maybe the KMT would try to leverage Thailand. I mean, how how useful it be to hammer on that is is a question. Mm. Um, but you know, with this kind of blatant absurdity of claiming Mongolia and Tibet with borders larger than present day China, mm-hmm. um, that pushes the issue on the ROC framework. And that would mm. be what Lim is aiming at, but, you know, for Tai... It comes with it. Yes. Mm. Uh, Tom, what, what do you see as the prospects for a visit by the Dalai Lama during the Thai administration? Well, I think it is highly possible that Dalai Lama can come to Taiwan again mm. uh, because the Penguin parties are in favor of Taiwan independence. Mm-hmm. But do you see pressure as China? Uh, do you think that that would perhaps uh, change the Thai administration's mind on this issue? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think the Thai administration can send a message to China by this, mm-hmm. saying, hey, since you don't talk to me, then I'll keep on irritating you. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of use a carrot and stick approach. Yeah. Of course, it would depend what he does when he comes here. I mean, obviously, if, if, he, if he comes here and simply meets a few lawmakers privately, Mm-hmm. Like Freddie Lim and a few other lawmakers, he meets them privately at a function or somewhere. You know, that's one thing. That's one thing. If he goes to the legislature and he talks to the lawmakers mm-hmm. in the legislature, right. the government building, that's another thing entirely. Now, yeah. if he comes over here and he goes to the legislative building and talks to the lawmakers and then pops off to the presidential office and mm-hmm. talks to the president, well, that's an entirely different matter or entirely different right. matter. That's totally, a horse of a different color. Totally different matter. Yeah. Of course, he could come over here on a private venture and be in... There's some a Tibetan event or something or some right. event at a temple. He could like he, he came for the Morocco, of course, last yeah. time, a typhoon, and prayed for the people that suffered in there. Yeah. If he comes and does that, I can see China erring about it, pointing fingers and going... Duh, 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 duh. But if he meets lawmakers and the president, I think there'll be a bit of a backlash about that. I think Freddie Lim would probably try to make it as big a spectacle as possible because he holds like you know free Tibet concerts in the past. And you know when the Dalai has come, you know he's tried to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, when he does that, he's also a lawmaker. That's that's the benefit of being a rock musician and a lawmaker. You know? Maybe not for his constituents, though. That's right. <laughs> it's my question. It's about question. what his constituents yeah. think about Especially because of his uh, running in, you know, what is traditionally a district that drifts more blue. All right, and rounding out the broadcast, uh, discussing a bit of a controversy that took off in the blogosphere late last week, centered on an article titled, Three Advantages China Has Over Taiwan, uh, and then in parentheses, Not the GDP or PLA. Uh, As we said, the article was written by Ralph Jennings, who is a contract reporter based in Taiwan, uh, and is actually uh, a contributor to the show. We've had him on a couple of times now. Uh, And the article, basically uh, about what is implied by the title. Ralph uh, began by pointing out Taiwan's obvious advantages uh, in terms of freedom of speech, uh, population and pollution control, uh, and uh, ever-improving democracy. Uh, But he went on to argue that, quote, China has fostered lifestyle and economic perks that elude Taiwan. Uh, And he said that some of those perks have nothing to do uh, with the economy or military. Uh, So these are the three things that he pointed to. Uh, He pointed to uh, the pinyin writing system, which he says has a number of advantages over uh, the romanization systems uh, often used in Taiwan. Uh, just look at the sign that says Keelong in Jilong, and uh, you can see some of what he's talking about there. Uh, he also uh, had a section called Chinese Culture in Your Face, which pointed out some of the elements of uh, Chinese culture that are uh, perhaps uh, more alive and well in China than in Taiwan. That was his argument. Uh, and then he had a, a section entitled Code Enforcement, 
uh, that talked about some of the ways that uh, China keeps its streets tidy. Uh, and he argued that uh, s- some of the officials responsible for that managed to uh, do a better job than uh, we sometimes see here in Taiwan. So uh, those were some of the arguments that were uh, in the article tipped off quite a bit of fury from many. And you could see that uh, on several platforms, including uh, discussions on Facebook that kind of cropped up, uh, discussions on Reddit, uh, even got a response from Wu Kai Shi, who is uh, the uh, famous Tiananmen Square dissident that moved to Taiwan uh, many, many years ago. Uh, he gave a response in Medium. It was also picked up in the news lens, uh, the English edition of that. Uh, and many were responding to what they saw as, you know, totally false assertions uh, on the part of this article. Uh, and others were just, you know, taking issue with what they saw as an overall uh, pro-China bias uh, that uh, they kind of picked up on in this article. Uh, and uh, a lot of folks that were in these forums were kind of questioning, why is Ralph Jennings uh, not responding? Why is he not participating in this discussion? Uh, so I thought that I'd invite him on the show as somebody who's been here uh, before a number of times uh, to respond here and just give kind of his thoughts on the controversy and maybe talk a little bit about what he was trying to get across uh, in the article. So uh, we have him on the line right now. Uh, Ralph Jennings, uh, thanks for thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks, Keith, for having me on the show. Let me start with your last question, which is what what motivated the article? What should people draw from it? And I remember when I was a kid, I read a book. I think everybody's read this called Animal Farm by George Orwell. And I remember my father saying at the time, look, you can read this as a kid's story or you can read it as a political commentary. And I think as adults, we all know the difference and you can see how each one can be done. And I'd like to say the same thing about this blog post that I wrote in late August and um, perhaps many other things that uh, myself and other people have written uh, you can see it the way you want to see it. If you want to see it as a condemnation of somebody or something, go ahead. If you want to see it as satire, go ahead. If you want to see it as tongue-in-cheek, go ahead. I won't stop anybody from forming the view that they like. Um, the post got about 10,000 views. I'm quite satisfied with that response. It means that, as you say, touched some nerves, got people thinking. Um, I'll back up a little bit. I... Um, on August 5th, I was denied a visa to China, which is my second time, um, which is interesting to come back three or four weeks later and find people saying on the Internet that I'm, I'm in China's pocket. Um, I don't think China would agree with that characterization. I've covered cross-strait news in China itself for more than 10 years, actually 17 years, and um, I don't have a great track record with the foreign ministry over there at all because of many of the things I've written in terms of why I wasn't in the debate, the, the original debate that I was privy to about this blog post was what started on Facebook on uh, August 31. And what I saw of that was not really what I would call a debate on the substance of the blog post. I was happy to see comments about the um, law enforcement of street of um, you know street maintenance and sidewalk maintenance, there was some good comments about the Chengguan and how those people are actually not are uh, perhaps thugs or not very nice people in terms of enforcing the law, which is good. I'm glad we had that kind of debate. I saw some debate about the uh, Hanyu Pinyin system compared to what's going on here in terms of writing, and that's good. However, most of what I saw was simply, you know, this is high school boys' locker room stuff, just bashing and bashing and bashing. And if you want to know why I wasn't on the debate, well, I wasn't really invited into it, and I didn't really see anything worth debating. This was not a mature discussion of the content of the blog post for the most part. Uh, there were references to family members of mine who had nothing to do with it. There was a, um, the F word was used in the original Facebook post that I saw, which I've saved. It was changed later, but I've saved the original for future reference. So when you have that kind of a discussion, um, I'll stay out of it. Mm. Um, in terms of the actual article content, I would, I guess, urge people reading it to look at two things. Uh, first, before you criticize the writer himself um, of anything, try to understand who it is and uh, you know what it is 
that um, you know is it is it a is it really advocacy? Is this person advocating something or just kind of pointing something out? You know, if you look back at there's a French map of the 1800s. His name is Alexis de Tocqueville, and he was writing in the early 1800s about American democracy. Um, he was a foreigner. He came in. He said, uh, look, all these problems with the democracy. He wrote a book about it, which was considered a classic because he reminded people in the United States to see some of the shortcomings of the political system. And it's not because he hated America. Uh, so if somebody writes about Taiwan and points out what may be considered shortcomings, is it really because that person dislikes Taiwan? Do they really like the other place better? Questions that you should be asking. Mm. And I think that also a debate should be, as I mentioned before, centered around the issues that are brought up in the blog post. Otherwise, we risk our own hit to free speech. As my blog post pointed out, Taiwan exceeds China greatly in terms of free speech. But if people come along in the blogosphere, as you put it, and criticize people with the F word and say that they're in China's pocket and that their family's members are on board, what does that say for free speech? Does that encourage people to speak freely? Mm. Now, I think that some of the critics uh, were also picking up on uh, past articles that you've written. Uh, recently, you also wrote one about some of the issues that you see in Taiwan's service sector uh, in terms of uh, how some of the businesses uh, don't quite meet your expectations in some ways. Uh, and I think that uh, some, uh, some commentators have taken issues with your characterizations of uh, cross-strait politics in the past and have seen there, uh, this is, you know, what they see there. They see there uh, sort of uh, a rehashing of some KMT tropes. Uh, so there, there was definitely some sense of a, of a distrust there in some of the commentary that we were seeing. Uh, but I'm curious, I mean, you say, uh, kind of in your bio for Forbes, you say that you seek to uh, report on underreported stories in Asia. Um, so when you do bring these stories that perhaps bring uh, some of the things that you see as negatives in Taiwan or some of the things that perhaps could be uh, worked on or addressed in Taiwan, do you see at this point uh, as that, that as being an underreported story? I definitely think that it's underreported um, to compare Taiwan not only to China but to other parts of, of Asia. And I don't do those kinds of blog posts normally comparison because I think each, each country is, is unique and has its own development pressures and its own history. Um, however, um, as you know, living here, that you know, Taiwan enjoys a tremendous reputation, I think, among, among especially young Western people who come here to, to work, to settle down, to study. Uh, the reputation is tremendous, the, the, the food and the convenience, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, some of the scenery, the outlying areas, and all those things are valid. But I think that when, as a journalist, um, I go back to the, the de Tocqueville, the French diplomat, when you, you should look past that and, and challenge things that you see that may not fit the stereotypes. And in, in any, any good analysis of a, of a place as complex as a whole country uh, definitely needs to move beyond stereotypes to be taken seriously. Uh, the critics who have had issues in the past um, tend to be um, the same group of, of expatriates. They're mostly foreigners who are not, who are not from here. Um, the, the response I get from Taiwanese people is, is very positive on the whole. Uh, what, although not everybody agrees, they will take it and debate it in their own media, in their own online forums. Um, local Taiwanese people may or may not agree with the, the content I post, but they are supportive enough of the idea that I'm saying it so that it gets translated into Chinese, it gets talked about during speeches, forums, and their own local Chinese language media. And as I was mentioning before, the critics are a, uh, a small group of expatriates who, who have lived in Taiwan for a while and uh, have a very strong view about, uh, about Taiwan itself. And for some reason have made a, a habit over time of, of, of essentially forbidding anybody from characterizing Taiwan differently than they would without this kind of reprisal that you've seen in the blogosphere. 
All right. So uh, food for thought right there uh, on that controversy from Ralph Jennings. Ralph, thanks for uh, speaking to us about that. Thanks, Keith. Uh, And so we're going to leave that there and move on to our final story for the podcast. Of course, this is our bonus story that you can only find on the podcast. A little bonus for our listeners here. Uh, Gavin, what do you have for us today? Ah, yes. A few dollars more indeed. Yes. Mm. Well played, that music there, Keith, because this story is about bounty hunting. Ah. Not people, of course. This is about bounty hunting in Jai County for exotic lizards. Lizards are on the hit list. Yep, apparently, on the according to the wanted Jai... posters. Well, there you go. According to the Jai County government, they're offering to pay a bounty to anyone willing to capture or kill two types of invasive species of exotic lizards. Okay. Now, they're wanting people to go hunt down brown anoles. Mm. There you go. I don't know Brown if I'd be able to spot those. Brown anoles, apparently, are native to Cuba and the Bahamas. Oh. They were first observed in Jai in 2000. So they're pretty much entrenched in Jai. Mm-hmm. They're quite small. Okay. Now, they're 3NT. So you <laughs> pile them up, you get 3NT for a body or 3NT for a live one. You're going to have to kill a bunch of them. You are to get any money. Now, if you want to make a quick buck, green iguanas are also on the bounty hit list. Now, Ooh. If they're smaller than 50 centimetres in length, you get 150 NT for one, dead or alive. <laughs> now, iguanas larger than 50 centimetres, that's fifty that's half a metre, if you want to look at it like that. You get 500 NT for any green iguana, bigger than a, half a metre in length. <laughs> well, you've earned that. If you've killed an iguana that's half a metre long, you've earned that money. I, would, I wouldn't go near an iguana that was more than 50 centimetres in length. <laughs> 500 NT, you'd have to pay me a lot more than that. Anyway, so if you do go out, that's what you get for the bounties on these lizards' heads. What are these wanted lizards doing? That's uh... well, They're invasive. Like I said, the, the brown anole is native to Cuba and the Bahamas, and it was first observed in Jai in 2000. This is obviously... They've come over here on maybe boats somehow. People have. This is not really a pet one, apparently. The brown and owls could have come here from other reasons. But the biggest problem, of course, the iguanas, which are quite big, mm-hmm. hence the bigger bounty on the bodies. Now, of course, they're native to Central and South America, and they've been introduced into the wild by people who bought them as pets. They're lovely pets. Well, they don't do very much, do they? Yeah, they but they look for cool. A walk, can you look at the lizard? It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. It moved a couple of feet. Mm-hmm. There we go. It's uh, well, they but they've been released into the wild by people, like I said, who have bought them for pets. They've and I guess been, got bored with they've them. They've been nice, cute, thirty centimeter long, ten centimeter, fifteen <laughs> centimeter long. They, they get, get to fifty big. centimeters. And of course, when you got a house and you got a fifty centimeter lizard, you get, <laughs> where's the lizard? Uh-oh. I don't know. I can't find the Well, why is worried. the screen door open? Some people have let them go into the wild. Mm. It's a lot like snakes. Taiwan has a big problem with snakes in certain parts. Mm-hmm. Nanto County, even Taipei, Yangminshan mm-hmm. has a problem with snakes mm-hmm. that aren't endemic to Taiwan. People yeah. have let them go. But there uh, you go. So if you want to make a quick buck, you go down to Jai, you put on your cowboy hat, you think you're Clint Eastwood, and you pick up your bounties. Mm. Yeah. Uh, All right, so I guess uh, the only question that this raises is, uh, is the bounty enough for you guys? Uh, Tom, are you going to go lizard hunting anytime soon? No, never. Never? (laughs) 500 NT is not your price. Uh, No. 1,000 NT, 2,000 NT, what would it take to get you to go lizard hunting? No, 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 I'm pro-animal protection. Pro-animal protection, even if they're not animals that are supposed to be in Taiwan? Yeah, yeah, even that. So Uh, so you want want to see them captured alive? Yes, Yes. Okay. Uh, Brian, is is that enough money to? Uh, you're 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 not a vegan or anything, are you? No, I'm not. But I'm also pro animal rights, so <laughs> I'd rather see them captured alive. Okay. Um, the funny thing though about this is like why the difference between the small and the big lizards? Because you know, like the issue is they re- reproduce, right? So I don't know why there's a difference about between small and big lizards. I don't even know what problems <laughs> these lizards are causing. They must be eating somebody's well, vegetable they eat, garden. They, they eat endemic species, don't they? Yeah. Because they're invasive species. Throwing invasive, everything out invasive, of whack. Invasive species cause problems. Well, they don't cause problems. You could argue they cause problems, but of course, the reason that the world is now like it is is because people move around, so animals. So, you know, it's a bit of a two-sided dice, I guess, on that one, whether you call them invasive species or not. Yeah, anyway, I've got to go. I've got to put my cowboy hat, smoke my cheroot, and go out hunting my bounty. <laughs> Gavin seems like he's for this. Uh, we'll see if uh, we'll see how much money he racks up.
All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. That is it for the show today. Uh, if you do start whacking lizards, please don't tell us about it. It's a little gruesome. We don't want to hear about that. Uh, but in any event, please do join us again next time. Taiwan This Week broadcasts every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100. Uh, you can catch that uh, around about 8.15, 8.20. Uh, every single Friday night. Oh, except for next Friday night. Next Friday, uh, we'll actually be taking the week off, uh, along with everybody else, uh, for the Mid-Autumn Festival. Uh, but most every week, you can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website. That extended version, of course, comes complete with an extra bonus story. You can find that on iTunes, uh, and uh, we've uh, also started adding that to the ICRT blog. Look for it there as well. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Hey, good night. Also, Brian Hugh, thank you for... what? Was that a lizard? I saw a lizard. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to be seeing them everywhere. Uh, come armed. Come, come to the studio armed from now on. Also with us, Brian Hugh. Thank you, Brian. Uh, good evening. And thank you to uh, first-timer Tom Shea. Tom, very happy to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, too. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.